0: This week on Cinemaholics, we're celebrating Valentine's Day weekend with some new films featuring powerful female leads. Special guest Val Complex joins us to review Alita Battle Angel, a new sci-fi blockbuster from Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron starring Rosa Salazar. I just wish James Cameron had little to do with this project we'll also be discussing happy death day to you the sequel to the horror slasher comedy from 2017 starring jessica roth you just don't really know why there's a time loop but you don't really need to know and isn't it romantic romantic comedy parody movie starring rebel wilson i liked the message of the film more than i liked the film itself all that and more is coming up on cinemaholics Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for the playlist, Country and Film. Hey, you guys. And you know what? Starting this week, cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashen. <laughs> Hi, John. How's it going? Actually, it's not cinemaholics.com yet. The yeah. URL isn't final. Not yet. It's net, right? It's cinemaholics.net. Well, no, I changed it. Again, it's cinemaholicspodcast.com. Oh. Yeah, because cinemaholics.net oh. was acting up. It wasn't It wasn't a fast connection. So uh. yeah, for those of you listening who are so confused, we have a website yeah. <laughs> that is uh, in its in its first days, if you can't tell. Um, anyway, I am the author of the novel killer joy book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I write about film for Adam Inside, Relevant Magazine, and cinemaholics.whatever. I am John Negroni. And we have a special guest this week. To talk about alita battle angel with us she is a screenwriter and film critic with bylines all across the web so happy to have her on cinemaholics for the first time val complex how you doing how Good. is
1: everyone out there in movie land
0: it couldn't be better from our end and we're so honored to have you on the show val thanks for coming on
1: yeah i know we've been trying to get this together for like mm-hmm. a year
0: it um, feels I'm like well yeah i guess it has been almost a full year all right. Well, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com. You can write into the show anytime by emailing us, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com cinemaholics. Again, you can go to cinemaholicspodcast.com to find articles, uh, the latest podcast episodes, everything Cinemaholics is on there, including ways to donate. And you can message us on there. It's a great time. And uh, Will, we have uh, reviews on there. We wrote reviews for yeah. a bunch of the films we'll be talking about today. If you want to hear our written perspectives, they'll be there, but we're going to, we're going to be a little bit more conversational here, I think. And that'll, that'll be good. So yeah. All right. Just a couple of quick off topics. Our anniversary episode is coming up. We're going to be celebrating the, I think it's the 80th anniversary of It Happened One Night. It's something like that. I'm, I'm getting all the numbers mixed up in my head, but that is going to be our first milestone episode that we're going to be celebrating in 2019. That film has been around for so many generations. We're going to be having on a special guest to talk about that film. And speaking of which we have a new column that's going to be coming to cinemaholicspodcast.com. And that is the movie of the week column. So keep an eye out for that next week. It's going to be coming on the website. You definitely want to subscribe on there so that you can get uh, plugged into that. That's all we have announcement-wise this week. Let's get into our first review, which is Alita Battle Angel, a live-action but mostly CGI adaptation of the Japanese manga Battle Angel Alita. It's a 1990s cyberpunk story. It's also been an anime. James Cameron, who has directed some of the most popular films of all time, like Aliens, Titanic, Avatar, and so on, He's wanted to make a Battle Angel movie for decades. And the final product, he's only a co-screenwriter of, alongside Laetitia Caligridis. you know from Alexander, Pathfinder. She also did the recent Netflix series, Altered Carbon, which I think we talked about on this show. Yeah. And the director of the film, though, is Robert Rodriguez. He did Spy Kids, Sin City, and a little classic you might have heard of called Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Can't leave that out. Oh, man. No. Not El Mariachi? <laughs> Uh, and he did machete too Gotta that's true that yeah now Death the filmado
1: and uh once upon a time in Mexico mm-hmm.
0: he has such a fascinating and colorful filmography
2: you guys hear about that uh John Malkovich movie it's not gonna come out for like a hundred years that he did
0: yeah I've heard about it are you sure it's a hundred years though isn't it less than that
2: uh I think it says a hundred years on IMDb I can look it up I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I mean who knows if it'll actually come out in a 100 years probably not I don't know if it'll be around for a hundred years but
0: yeah, a little uh, faith, Will Ashen. Yeah, I'm a little cynical, but yeah, it says Our it's coming out. Our grandkids will one day sit in a the theater, if that still exists. Oh, man. I know that you uh, It right. says
2: 2115, 20, uh, so 100 years from now.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was more like 50 years. Maybe I was just being optimistic that I would get to live to see it, but oh, well. Sure. Anyway, the film Alita Battle Angel follows a young cyborg named Alita, played by Rosa Salazar, uh, she's mostly CGI mocap, however. She's found in a garbage heap underneath a floating city of mines of Elysium. She's patched up by a robot specializing doctor named Edo, played by Christoph Waltz. She has no memory of where she came from or why she has an innate instinct for violence that allows her to basically beat anybody who tries to mess with her, including other cyborgs and people called hunter killers who hunt killers, I guess. The villains are Sheeran and Vector, played by Jennifer Connelly and Mahershala Ali. They're, of course, after her. But amidst all of this mayhem, Alita eventually falls for local teen heartthrob Hugo, played by Keen Johnson. Can't wait to talk about him. And she embarks <laughs> on a journey of self-discovery and all of that. We, of course, have a clip from the movie before we get into this review. In this scene, Alita has just found a new replacement body she can use to upgrade her warrior skills and she has to try to convince Dr. Ito to help her finish her transformation. Here is a
1: clip. This body, it has the power I need. I feel a connection to it, I can't explain. This could be who I am. You've been given a chance to start over with a clean slate. How many of us get that? Why did an enemy warship respond to me? Because I knew that ship. I've been on others like it, haven't I? Haven't I? Oh, whatever
0: you were, it's not who you are now.
1: No. I'm a warrior, aren't I?
0: All right, that is a clip from the new movie, Alita Battle Angel. It's getting mixed reviews from critics, but they do sort of skew positive for the most part. It costs about $200 million to make. It has a tough hill to climb in order to be the sort of success... 20th Century Fox is probably hoping for pre Disney merger. But Val Complex, please start us off. Was Alita Battle Angel a success for you?
1: Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that I liked it more when I, after I thought about it, like I first saw it. And was like, wow, this is pretty terrible. But then I thought about it more and there were more things that I liked. It still didn't save the movie from being overall just vapid and empty. But um, there are some saving graces. I don't know if it's going to make anything. Because, I don't know, maybe overseas. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I did an episode a while back. Uh, on my YouTube channel about uh, sci fi and if sci fi is kind of dead in Hollywood. And usually, if it's not attached to like a big tent pole project like Star Wars or Dune or whatever, then they usually don't do well financially, Um, even the good ones. So,
0: yeah, like a rival. You know, When
1: you look at like Arrival or Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, and it's just strange. I just don't think, I think, first of all, people hearing that it's sort of an anime, manga adaptation will will um, I guess sort of isolate you know, one demographic of moviegoers and then when they look at Rosa Salazar and the motion caption the motion caption um, that'll, you know, isolate another demographic. It's just it's just a film that's a hard sell. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe if James Cameron and all this money wasn't involved Robert Rod. Rodriguez could have made something for 20 million or less that probably would have been more impactful uh, and effective than this big budget blockbuster Disneyland spectacle that was kind of unnecessary. I like Rosa Salazar and, you know, some of the jokes hit, but you have three Oscar winners in this film, Jennifer Connelly, um, Marjala Ali and Christoph Waltz, and they're just like sleepwalking through it. Like you could just tell they're there for the paycheck. Mm -hmm. The only one that only person that seems to care about anything that's going on is Rosa Salazar. Um, because the guy that plays Hugo, his acting is terrible. Like, I some of the dialogue is just cheesy and it follows the same sort of formulaic format that all James Cameron follows post Terminator. I just wish James Cameron had little to do with this project because it seems like a James Cameron film. And a lot of people forget that Robert Rodriguez directed it. Like people, you know, I talked to people and they're like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot he directed this. I'm like, yeah, it kind of sucks. Cause it just seems like a James Cameron project and that's it. I'm
0: curious. though, when you say like, when you mentioned Disneyland, did you get the sense that this was like made to be some sort of like theme park attraction or something? Or like with, all the? Marvel well, you know, they doing?
1: have the, um, they the have the Alita experience. Uh, yes. You know, they have the Alita experience, um, which is, just pretty much like a maze sort of yeah. team building thing that you can go into, and because uh, I've I've done it here in New York, and it's actually pretty fun. It's just you know it's 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 bigger than it needs to be because even you know the anime is very you know the two anime OVAs that are out are very sort of lo-fi mm-hmm. sort of things. I understand like Motorball and stuff would need to be like you know like a like something that's expensive to shoot but it just seems very it's got so much color and and i don't know it's not the bleak dark world of the manga the anime so
0: definitely not
1: it's like a little pg-13 yeah i was a little disappointed and even if it's pg-13 they could have did something with it but it just you know studios are afraid to push the button for some reason to go to R. um i don't know You know, maybe if something like Annihilation was PG-13, maybe more people would have went to see it. I don't know. Um, I just don't, I don't see Alita being successful, unfortunately, not financially. I could be wrong. Um, Overseas could kill it, but. Yeah. Like I have a feeling
0: it'll make money, but I don't know if it'll make enough. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's making money overseas at the moment. Like I think it is in not that many markets, but has a good average per theater. But yeah. So Lil Ashen. So, we so hard. It sounds like Val's like kind of mixed, but mostly negative. What about you?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a project that, I mean, beyond the uh, prolonged release date, I mean, I remember the trailer came out uh, at least like over a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Uh, um, I feel like this movie has been like hyped a lot or like mentioned a lot by James Cameron, but I never really knew exactly what it was going to be. I mean, especially with Robert Rodriguez involved, I never really knew what the project was going to become. And I will say that I think. It's in some ways better than I was anticipating, but also not quite as good as I think it could have been. I will say that I, I would definitely say James Cameron's influence is apparent, but I will say I actually thought Roderick Rodriguez's uh, influence was seen throughout, mostly in the world building. I think the way that it uses uh, some practical effects and the way that it actually feels like fairly organic in a way that a lot of movies now like, just have CG backgrounds and they feel kind of lazy in that regard. I do like that the movie takes some good care into making the world feel as authentic as possible. And I think that is ultimately, uh, Robert Rodriguez's influence. I think he takes a special notice of that, but, um, there's something about the film that for the special effects, which I think are pretty incredible. I mean, I know a lot of people are jarred by them. I think seeing the trailer in like short spurts, it can be a little, uh, weird to see the like eye effect, but I think in the film, it it, it feels pretty natural in a way that I was not anticipating. And I think, at its best, it's some of the best special effects CG work um, I've probably ever seen in a film. Like, just this gorgeous, like, say the art filmmaking, like, advancements are often hindered by this script that feels just so generic and plotting in a way that feels very retro and not in a necessarily charming way. It just feels like, oh, this could have been more. Like, you put so much effort into, like, the look and design of the film, but the story is so basic and by the numbers... That it feels like, yeah, like a it's like going forward and back at the same time. It's a very weird kind of contradiction in that way. But I do think what ultimately makes me like the film is Rosa Solstar's performance, who I think is great. I mean, I really like her. I mean, I think she first came to my radar was um, the second season of Man Seeking Woman. And I know that she has been on the up and up. And I think this is going to be a great showcase for her talents. It's a shame that the movie is probably not going to do well because I don't think that's going to ultimately help her, but I do think it's going to get people, it's going to get her on a lot of people's radar. And I, I'm very ex- excited to see where she's going to go from here, but I also quite enjoyed her chemistry or like her uh, father's daughter relationship with uh, Christoph Walls. I felt it was tender and sweet in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Um, but I do feel bad for Marshall Lee, who um, seems to be kind of doing Morpheus cosplay throughout and not really giving a chance to uh, get I showcase to prove his talents and poor Jennifer Connelly. She just looks like she wants to be anywhere, but in this movie, mm-hmm. I like care look like throughout, like I could read in her eyes, like, get me out of this, please get me out of this. And I felt bad. Cause I, kn- we, we know they're great talents and I, I feel like the script doesn't play them any favors, but um, as a film, I ultimately enjoyed it more than I didn't. I I know with the ending hyping the sequel, it feels kind of bittersweet. Like we're probably never going to get a second Alita movie just based on the box, box office uh, projections for this film. But um, as a film, as it stands on its own, I enjoyed it more than I
0: didn't, I'd say. Interesting. I It's weird. I, I agree with basically everything that's been said so far, but I definitely am the one who liked this one the most. Um, I can sort of just sort of tell. And maybe it's because I had the lowest expectations. I'm not a fan of the manga or the anime. I, I do think that it's, it's got a great visual style. It's, it's got a good cyberpunk quality is very before it's time or ahead of its time. And the ultra violence of it is obviously kind of interesting, but I never thought that that was a story that aged super well. And so I was not looking forward to this. I was like, ah, it's another kind of avatar. It's like all about the visual effects. That's all that's going to be, you know, the reason to see it. It's not going to have, it's going to have the paper thin story. It's going to have the weak characters And for some reason, I actually, I think the action is what really got me with this. Like every single action scene in this had me really gripped for some reason.
1: Oh yeah, the action is fabulous.
0: It's great. Yeah, it it just made me want to forgive like these terrible character relationships. I I actually, I didn't like, I love Alita herself. I don't like her relationship with any character. I I don't like her even with the Christoph Waltz character, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But- I like her so much that I kind of just didn't care. I, I think I just sort of settled into accepting that this was a very, like you said, basic, you know, formulaic, you've all said it, kind of movie. And then I just sort of enjoyed the spectacle of it. I have a feeling that it's it's just one of those movies that in a few years it, it's gonna be pretty dated technologically and it's just gonna be forgotten for that reason. Which makes me a little sad because you could have a follow-up to this if it was successful enough, obviously that you'd be able to improve what we have here and and actually get a movie that's the whole package. But yeah, I I definitely liked it more than I disliked it. And I I would say that it's an easy recommend because you know, I think Val what you said was very true. Like people just don't show up for sci-fi movies because sometimes they expect them, maybe even the good ones, that they just they may not see any appeal. It, you know, what science fiction is supposed to be is it's supposed to be deep and introspective and tell something very, you know, true about humanity. I almost hesitate to call this a sci-fi because there isn't really any of that. It, it's really just kind of like a YA sort of, not that I have a problem with YA, but it's more of like a self-discovery. It's more about like a, you know, a person figuring out who they are. It's not really about science and technology and how, that could be any sort of interesting world building. And so it's more of like, to me, an action movie first. And maybe that's why I give it more of a pass and maybe some other people do. And why I think some people will go and see this. And if they're not, I almost say like, if you're not a huge fan of sci-fi, if you don't go in expecting Blade Runner 2049, you might enjoy this a little bit more than you're expecting. But I think a lot of people will see it and just not have a good time because they can't just get into it. They can't get sucked in because there are some weak elements here. But I do agree, Will, with what you said about the setting, the world building and the uh, the practical effects. I thought like the Ed Scrine cyborg, for example, was such a convincing effect that they pulled off. I want to know, though, what you all saw your films and like what format. I saw mine in Dolby. So great sound, great visual. But what about you, Val?
1: I saw it in like Dolby 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so how it was the was- 3D? Uh, it wasn't super helpful. Hmm. Um, And uh, that's kind of shocking because one thing that James Cameron does do well is 3D. But this, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it seemed unnecessary. Um, It didn't really need that for the world. And and I want to give the film more credit because Robert Rodriguez really goes out of his way to employ and uh, to give acknowledgement to Latinx communities. And I don't think people noticed that Iron City had a very almost Mexican sort of, like Mexico sort of aesthetic with the colors and some mm-hmm. of the architecture. And listening to some interviews like Iron City is inspired by a lot of uh, Latinx architecture and stuff like that. So I thought that that was interesting. I caught that he
0: he was definitely inspired by uh, Mayaguez, um, one of the places where my family's from.
1: Yeah. And that's definitely uh, a really good reference for it. And the action sequences are very, very well done. They are like edge of your seat, but it sucks that when it's over, you're like, oh God, when is the next (laughs) one coming? Because I just need that next action scene. It was like, put it in my veins and then the rest of it, was yeah. like, okay, just a little way, but I really like, I, I don't know, did Rosa Salazar do her own stunts or something? Cause she can move if she did do her own stunts and it wasn't like CGI, uh, computer generated or whatever.
2: I think she, um I think she had some of the stunts and then not some of the other ones. She had like an interview segment thing after my screening and she was saying she did some of the stunts, but not all of them, I believe.
1: Okay. It was just, you know, it was those action sequences were really, really well done. And, um, you know, the villains were really, uh, really looked cool. Um, But I just, there was something about the, when you mentioned before about how her relationship with other people, like, I really uh, 100% agree with that. And I feel like Alita is like two different movies, like you have the first half, it's like, slow, and then you get the action and then the second half is like something completely different. And I feel like it's a film that should have started somewhere in the middle. Um, mm. Not specifically an origin story, but something where we see a lot more action and a lot more of what she can do now.
0: Right. Or at and, least a time skip, right? Where we don't have to watch her figure things out for the first time. It just sort of skips to the part where she's a little bit more settled. But
1: no. Right. that's what i That's what I expected. Um, of the film and, you know, they did this whole origin thing. And I don't, don't know if James it. Cameron cares about having a sequel. I think this is just a labor of love that he just wanted to sort of get out of the way. And, right. He's got enough sequels um, with Avatar to worry about. Right. I don't think, um, I don't actually think it matters. Um, I'd like to see a sequel, um, you know, like this whole like love story thing. It's like, who cares? Let's just see this android cyborg whatever she is do her thing and not have to worry about you know the, how human she is it's like we can discover that as we watch like, we <laughs> don't need the exposition the film was really exposition heavy and it really annoyed the crap out of me um, yeah it's. but there, there are some redeeming qualities I don't want to be too negative about it because there are things that I liked
0: yeah. My life is a teenage robot. I, w- I was thinking about that one. It's like you have this hyper-violent robot character, but she's also a teenager. And it is it is a weird paradox that I don't know if it's fully successful. But uh, what about you, Will? Did you see this one in any sort of special format?
2: Uh, I saw an IMAX 3D. Uh, that was where my screening was. And I was disappointed with the 3D as well. I was really expecting that to pop more than mm. it was. Not that it was bad 3D. I just kind of expected it to be more given that. So the, like so the person
0: scene. who, okay. So then the person who did not see it in 3d liked it the most. So what does that tell you? Probably, it, you. but I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I always prefer non-3d myself, but was there anything about this film that you think, cause I sort of touched on this where, you know, maybe it won't be a huge box office juggernaut. Maybe it'll eke out enough to warrant a sequel, but you know, do you think this is something that audiences are going to gravitate toward or do you think it's something they're just going to kind of forget in a couple of years
2: um i'm not sure i mean i don't ever want to rule out james cameron just because anytime i've ever been like oh that's not going to work or oh that's probably going to flop he uh has been extremely successful i mean avatar probably being the most prominent case but i don't think this one's going to work out in his favor and like we're saying it's not really his film entirely so right he, he can't get all the credit or blame for this necessarily but um, I think it's going to earn a cult following. I do think people are really going to appreciate the special effects and Rosa Salazar's perform- performance and, uh, just the way the world is built and how much care is went into that in the production itself. I think there's definitely a lot to like here. And I think people are going to overlook the flaws and appreciate that, but I don't know if it's going to be like uh, a huge cultural impact. I think it might just be more niche which is a shame because for a film that's like this big and expensive, it's kind of like another Scott Pilgrim thing where it's like made for only a certain number of people, but it's made for with a budget that's meant to be like, like much bigger. So I, that's my guess at
1: this time. As I say I do appreciate that they tried to market it to a wider audience um, that, you know, in this case they weren't trying to be like, well, Hey, anime fans, you should come check this out. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of, anime to live action in hollywood does that um and that's the wrong demographic to target when it comes to this because you know anime fans like myself are so burnt out by the nonsense that comes out of hollywood regarding these adaptations i that... think ghost in the shell
2: yeah i was gonna say it's, it's definitely
1: better than ghost in the shell at least oh yeah i mean it it had a lot of reminders of that but i was like well this is way well but be- you know done a lot better than than that movie which i hated and has really no redeeming qualities except for weta who does really great work all the time Mm -hmm. i may not be in good movies but they do good work um as far as the film being successful or becoming like a cult classic nah it doesn't have it doesn't have that especially in the same weekend where fighting with my family and the wildly successful happy death day sequel are out um i seriously doubt it
0: yeah we'll we'll be talking about fighting with my family more next week but that is a film i definitely enjoyed much more than same, this one but same. a very different film i should say you know uh, but I will say I was I was a little surprised by how similar sci-fi wise. Like I thought that Happy Death Day to you was probably the more sci-fi f- friendly movie than this one. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, yeah. But that's a different conversation. Uh, let's get into our final grades. I, I'm a B on this one, kind of right in the middle. Not a very low B. Not a high B whatsoever. And I think I've just kind of said it. It it really is one of those films that it's. It's. i think it's just a little bit above average cuz there are things in it that are so well done that are so great they for me they overshadowed a lot of the weaknesses and i am going to be very fascinated to see how this one plays out cuz you know it, we, we didn't really bring it up much but with the the fox and disney merger it's really going to be up to disney whether or not they want to turn this into a franchise and i i am actually kind of interested in the idea of a franchise here where they actually can improve upon this movie and sort of learn from their mistakes. And th- there was one thing I didn't mention because it gets sort of in a spoiler territory, but th- there is something that this movie does in the way that it sort of sheds a lot of the character development, a lot of things that happen and gets rid of it. So that what happens next to me, was like, okay, that's the movie I want to see a lot of people are criticizing the movie for that where they're like, I, I just want a more pure standalone movie. And I, I totally understand that this is not that kind of film. It's a, it's a setup, but I can't help but say I did get pretty excited. So uh, it's a B for me. And what about you, Val?
1: Mm. I'm not comfortable with giving it like a rotten score on rotten tomatoes. Like I'm not going to do that. Um, sure. But with, Movie tickets costing sixteen fifty in New York, I can't, in good conscience, recommend <laughs> it. Maybe for maybe if you have an AMC membership and you can pay five dollars on Tuesday or whatever, but I, I just, I, I can't, in good faith, recommend it. So I would, I'd probably give it a C minus. Yeah, because I can't give it a D because it has good things going for it, but to me, not enough. So I would say c minus yeah
0: all right c minus and then will ashen what about you uh
2: yeah i'm a little closer to you on this one john um i do think i understand why the movie's getting mixed reviews because ultimately i do think uh the quality of the film is mixed uh and i do find myself for all the stuff that works in here i do find myself disappointed when stuff doesn't work because it just it feels so obvious like oh why like for as much money and time as you spent on this world building why did you not make the dialogue better why did you like make this romance so trite it's just like it's so aggravating in that regard but i do think it i i enjoyed my time watching it i would say it's worth seeing as a matinee just because i think the theater experience for this is going to be worth it if you can get it but um yeah it's a film that feels like overstuffed and overworked but also could use more work ironically it's just again this weird contradiction of a film but um, ultimately I'm glad that Rob Rodriguez was able to kind of go into the big budget films. Like he's often doing stuff that's a little smaller. And I, I would say I, I like this more, I'd say probably way more than the last in city. Uh, yeah, the last in city movie. And I would like to see him do more blockbusters. I think he has proven himself pretty successful in that regard. And I, I know he definitely has enough experience and, uh, critical acclaim to prove it. So yeah, ultimately I'm going to give it a B minus. Um, yeah, I, I wish it was a little stronger, but I had a good time watching it and
1: I think it's worth seeing. I'm going to I'm going to change my grade to C. I'm just going to put C. Cuz there there are things that I liked about it and like when it comes out on DVD, I will probably watch it again. Um I just god, I just I just want James Cameron to stop writing. <laughs> I just want him to direct. He has no business writing. Like no business. Just stop writing. <laughs> I he think did, he's a, he did you co-write
0: know, this one, and yeah, I, just I will want, say though, Calgary has kind of a mixed track record. Some people would say, but
1: um, I just those, want. Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was gonna say, uh, looking ahead, I do believe Avatar the sequels are going to be written by people other than James Cameron.
1: Thank God.
2: Yeah, so we <laughs> have that to look forward to. At least, not that
1: anybody's looking forward to the Avatar. Phase.
2: No. Yeah. Anyway,
1: <laughs> but um, I just, you know, if. I just, I don't know. I'd like to see more from Robert Rodriguez and more from Rosa Salazar. Um, That I'm looking forward to. And I don't know, man. I think this one is going to be one of those February releases that people just forget, you know, when October comes around. People are like, oh, that came out this year. It's going to be one of those things. And it sucks, but, you know, it is what it is. Um.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I think I appreciate that Rosa Salazar's profile is getting heightened a bit. I remember in that second Maze Runner movie, that's probably around the time when she was being considered for this film. You know that this is we're starting to see her, you know, pop out more in Hollywood. I think the last one we saw her in was probably Bird Box, which she oh, yeah. was in.
1: Oh, I hate that movie. Oh, yeah, it's
0: bad. I, I especially, <laughs> I especially dislike what they did with her in that movie. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah,
1: it was, what
0: very wasted oh. there. But yeah, so that um, is Alita Battle Angel. Uh, so it's about a C plus, B minus average for us. I think if you are going to see it, I think Val, you had some good advice there. Maybe, uh, you two will. Maybe, maybe go see a matinee. Maybe, maybe find a way to not pay full price for this one. I, I definitely think if you see it, try not to see it in 3D. But I do think if you like really good spectacle action movies, you're not going to get Mad Max Fury Road, but you're, you're going to get what I think is a pretty solid... You know, a few action sequences. So that's Alita Battle Angel. And Val, thanks again for coming on to talk about this film with yeah. us. Appreciate hearing your perspective.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, John, we've always talked about movies for years, it's it been right. years. So um, thank you guys.
0: All right. Well, this next film is one that we've been anticipating for a long time, about a year and a half. And it it was one of the first CinemaHolics reviews that really drove a wedge between some of your your favorite CinemaHolics. That would be Will and myself. Now, to recap, the first Happy Death Day came out. It was October 13th, 2017, aka Friday the 13th, aka my birthday. So I saw this film. I saw this film in a very good mood. Uh, with Maverick Hines, uh, we both we both enjoyed this film because we had a couple of beers, we were in the theater, and I thought Happy Death Day was a goofy sort of like bad horror comedy. You know, not bad in the way that I thought like the self aware kind of Sam Raimi, Drag Me to Hell, Evil Dead movies are, but in a way that like I enjoyed the bad dialogue. I enjoyed. The, the crazy situations and over the top deaths. Now, the big contention, however, was Will Ashen. You thought that it was bad on purpose, which mm, I swear. That's sort- not the way I put it. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. How would you put it?
2: Well, I think it has a pop aesthetic. Like it's going for something that's kind of it. what it is, is essentially a, co- a dark college comedy slash romantic comedy that's disguised as a slasher film. It's, I think, because of the marketing or, because of it's Blumhouse, people are like, oh, this is just going to be a slasher film with comedic elements. But it's more of a comedy with just a little bit of horror dashed into it. And I think I what it's going for. Sure. sure. But I think, like you say, it's bad. I think it does what it wants to do. And I think what it's trying to do, it succeeds. Like, you have to look at movies and what they're trying to do. Like, it, there's no sense being like. That's
0: true. But at yeah, the same so, time, I still didn't like a lot of elements of it. I The first film, I thought that it was just some of the writing was really bad and some of the moments that were supposed to be like empowering or moments that were supposed to be funny, I thought were just overdone. They were kind of overbearing. And I, but I was still able to laugh at it where I get the sense that you were more sort of in with it. You were enjoying it as it was.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's just, I think part of the appeal and the charm, I think it's going for something that's corny and cheesy in that way. And I mean, usually those words are used in a derogatory way, but I think it's going for that intentionally. Like it's kind of, winking in its approach and i think it has a sense of humor about it that allows it to be kind of cheesy and corny in that particular way so for me it's a success i think it's it it's a film that I actually liked more when i rewatched it um and i don't take back anything i said positive about the film
0: i'm glad you don't yeah i i think i think that it's a success too i think that it it made people happy who watched it. So I, I I wasn't super negative on the film. Come on. So happy death day to you. That brings us to the sequel, which I'll say I think in my opinion, is more successful with what you're talking about, where I feel like yeah, I it's a bit feel more polished and refined. Well, I just feel like it's doing a better job of nailing that balance of tones that you're talking about. And the, you know, this one is the same kind of thing, except it's more sci-fi. Like it's disguised as a sci-fi sort of thing with barely any horror, which, okay. I, I was fully on board with that, but well, why don't you walk us through the plot and then we'll play a, a quick clip. What, what is happy death day to you about? How did they do a sequel to a film where a girl is murdered and relives the same day over and over again. Hmm.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what I can say without giving too much away. But, um, so we start this movie off, not with trees perspective, but Ryan, the, uh, half tree of course
0: is Jessica Roth from the first film.
2: Of course, the great Jessica Roth, who is fantastic in this film and your professional uh, crush. yeah, Yeah. My professional crush. I was very heartbroken to realize she's engaged. I learned that on Jimmy Kimmel and, um, as long John, as she's I happy,
0: wish. that's what counts.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, of course, but I also wish you would respect my privacy at this time. <laughs> so, uh, in any case, uh, yeah, so we start the film off with Ryan, who is the roommate of Carter, the love interest of Tree, the aforementioned Tree. Um, yeah, so we, we start from his perspective, and it seems a little familiar. Like, uh, he wakes up in his car, he gets harassed by a dog, some ch- uh, homeless guy asks him for change uh a guy on a skateboard with coffee almost runs into him he tries to get into his room and doing so there's some guy with a trumpet playing for some reason which is a callback to the first movie because you hear the guy yelling shut up um anyway he can't get into his room so he goes into this lab where he's working on his thesis project which is like this big bulky machine that looks like nothing a college student would be working on ever like it, it probably costs like millions upon billions of dollars to make which i think again adds to the whole like heightened silliness of it like wow this would not be in a college in kentucky or whatever they are sure. wherever they live but anyway uh they're working on the thesis project it's just about finished and then the d de- like the dean played by uh steve's disease i think is his, how you pronounce his last name uh he puts a kibosh on it he's like no this is too expensive like things keep breaking you, you, you guys gotta put an end to this stop but in doing so, when he finds out that news, it's shortly thereafter that Ryan gets killed by the familiar baby mass killer. But instead of going to the, the great beyond, he wakes up again in his car. Similar thing happens, you know, harassed by the dog. Uh, so, so, so on and so forth. Right. And so and he's like, this uh, doesn't
0: give anything away. This is like the very beginning of the movie.
2: Right. And he's freaking out. And he's like, I'm having deja vu, man. What's going on? He explains this situation the tree and she's very familiar
0: with it right so we we actually have a clip of that okay yeah so let's play it so this is uh the scene that you're talking about ryan is tripping out man oh ryan
2: dude i am tripping right now yeah no no no. seriously i'm having that thing you know what what's it called when you feel like you've already lived through something before deja vu yes Dad, I feel like I've totally
1: lifted his day already. Wait, what? Okay. Just breathe. Just breathe. <sighs> Listen to me. The day reset when you died, right?
0: Yeah, some psycho dude in a baby mess attacked me. But it was just a dream, right? Toons is dead.
1: So's Lori.
2: And who's the killer this time? Uh, hello? Will someone please explain what the hell is going on? and you're going to be stuck reliving this day until we figure out how to stop it.
0: All right, yeah. Once again, that is a clip from Happy Death Day to you, which... Which uh, we got the exclusive on that. We time got to mention time. it. Yeah, so a few months back, uh, I sent out a tweet predicting this would be the name of the film, and Christopher B. Landon, the director, confirmed it on that Twitter thread, and it was updated right then and there. And so... You know, nice little bit of film history we got to be a part of.
2: Yeah. I'm very happy to have been part of Happy Death Day history. That makes me happy.
0: That's right. Yeah, and I heard that the I think the I there was like a scam sort of lawsuit where people were trying to stop this film from having the Happy Birthday. Like they claimed they owned the rights to the Happy Birthday song and it was oh, those, total garbage. Like the
2: couple that like has the rights to that for some reason. I don't I don't yeah. know why they're doing that.
0: Yeah. Right. It didn't work out obviously and this film Man, it should be Happy Death Day to you. Instead of coming out, of course, around Halloween, this one comes out around Valentine's Day, which actually I thought was pretty perfect because it is the kind of film that I think couples should go see because it has a nice little love story in it. And I think on the whole that this film, we won't get into like certain plot specifics and like what ends up happening, but it goes in directions you don't really expect and directions that I thought were very, they obviously reminiscent of back to the future. They mentioned that film many times and, but in a way that I thought was lovingly done. I don't think it's all that funny, but you said the word charm. I will say this film has a lot of charm. I wish it just had been a little bit funnier. And I think I would have really liked this one or considered it, a really great, you know, celebration of Back to the Future as it is. I just think it's just all right. What about you, Will?
2: Yeah, no, I I'm basically in alignment with my opinion of the first film. I think uh, there's some things that this movie doesn't do quite as well as the first. I think it's not quite as neat and compact. There are a couple of loose threads from the beginning of the film. I was a little it's p- definitely they more
0: introduce- complicated for sure,
2: right? Which makes sense, but. They introduced something, and I can't say too much more without getting the spoilers, where I was like, oh, this is gonna be really interesting. What's gonna happen here? Uh, with like involving multiverses. And then like they just dropped that almost entirely, I feel like, and it's like, oh, that's a shame. Maybe they'll do it in the third movie. But right, yeah. the way that it's set up here, that that kind of left me wanting in a way I was not anticipating. But I do think as I was saying earlier, I think Christopher Landon knows what he wants these movies to be. And I think he is successful in how he wants to make those films. And I think a big credit goes to Jessica Roth, who carries these movies. Uh, Like the first movie, she was in every scene. And she's almost Mm -hmm. in every scene of this film. And just her energy, her versatility as an actress, uh, just the way that she kind of just goes gung-ho for everything that she has to go through in this movie. Uh, It's just like seeing that scene where she is uh, like, doing the um what do you call it uh, skydiving in a bikini <laughs> while yeah. like flipping off the camera in a way that suggests the tree knows that she's in a movie which i find kind of interesting uh like just in slow motion like to me like that seems like this is exactly what the series is like it's just it's goofy it's like takes no prisoners just off its rocker having fun with this time loop premise and i just i find them very infectiously silly and enjoyable um, And I, I won't say that they're perfect by any means, but I do think what they're trying to go for is exactly what they achieve. And uh, I think even though this movie, I agree with you, I think the comedy, I think it was a little more successful in the first movie because it had a little more of an edge to it that I think was a little more fitting given the darkness of the premise. But I do think that this movie is a little more accessible than the first movie. I think maybe it's I think I, I mean, I, it's yeah. pretty
0: nerdy. Like, I think there are some things about it that'll turn people off, like some of the weird science of it.
2: But it's, like, movie nerdy. Like, it's, like, mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, it doesn't actually make sense. It's like (laughs) the
0: Ant-Man and the Lost joke where they just put quantum before everything.
2: Right, exactly, yeah. It's mumbo-jumbo science. But um, I do think that uh, the movie does take criticisms from the first movie and applies them to this. Like, for instance, I'd say um, the relationship... I think the relationship between Carter and tree is a little more developed here. Uh, Cause like in the first movie, he just wins her heart basically by being not a terrible person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like doing like the one decent thing in that situation. Um, but in this movie, like you, you get to understand more Carter as a person. I think uh, what's the guy's name? Israel. Israel. Basard, learned-
0: who is her fiance. I want to say I'm obviously joking, but.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know who her fiance is. I'm just
0: um, I'm just rubbing this salt. <laughs> I know you don't want to know. Sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, better not to know. I guess. Uh, <laughs> to let my heart be still. Um, but uh, yeah. No, no. Um, I do think that the movie uh, it's a little more fun with how it plays with the premise. Like I think this movie is a little more experimental than
0: the first movie was, mm-hmm. in a way that I think it mostly succeeds. And well, it does uh, the rare thing where it actually explains the time loop and what that is and yeah that which from. i have mixed feelings
2: about yeah.
0: i i netted out that i liked it because they went for it they committed to it and right. they did it in a way yeah it was mumbo jumbo science but they i thought that they did it in a way that was mostly satisfying for me at least no
2: yeah no I, I i agree with that and that's what totally why i think it works and why the movie works but i think for me like when it was introduced like there's something about taking out the magic of the first movie a little bit like that's what i kind of like about the first movie in a way is that like You just don't really know why there's a time loop, but you don't
0: really need to know. That's something I actually like though, because they they commented on the film and she's like, I went through all the emotional journeys of the first film for no reason. Like it had nothing to do (laughs) with what got her out of the time loop. I I actually thought that that was very, that, that to me was like part of the charm was they were kind of poking holes at the sort of mystical mysterious thing. And because I think if they had continued that, like if it had just continued to be a, why is this happening? Who knows? It would have felt mm-hmm. more of like a plot contrivance. I mean, it still kind of is, but at Great. least it's a plot contrivance with some information, right? Or some cause and effect that we can cling to.
2: Right. No, I agree 100%. I just, for me, though, it's just taking a little bit of the magic of the first movie out. Like, it, like the first movie, when you watch it, the time loop could be anything. It could be mystical. It could be, you know, like some kind of spiritual whatever. Just when you give things an explanation, it's concrete, and that just takes some of the magic out. That's just how I feel. But I agree ultimately. I think everything else you said about it is true. And ultimately, that's why I think it works, having the explanation for it. And I do think having that explanation gives this movie or this franchise, I mean, a chance to, ironically enough, go on basically yeah. forever. I mean, I think well, the it tree story
0: a, it has a purpose, right? For at least one more yeah. film. Yeah, I think um,
2: I think the tree story, like I was going to say, uh, is probably going to end with the third one, assuming there is a third film. But, I mean, ideally, like, with this premise, you could theoretically just go on forever. Like, you, I mean, you could just have a time loop with anybody, really, you know, because you could just do the same thing over and over again. But that's what I mean. Like, I think if there's any sequel that could have had the liberty to essentially repeat itself, pull, like, a hangover Two, and just do the same thing over again, it's this movie, right? Like, because it's, like, fitting, you know, like, I wouldn't even put it beside... Uh the filmmaker's just to release the first movie over again as a short lived joke, you know. I I admire the chutzpah of that. Uh, but um You'd be the only no only
0: person. I, Everyone else would be like boo. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right, no, obviously, yeah. But um I think as a sequel, I think it's smart. I think it's clever in its approach. Uh I think it's winningly sincere. And um I just think it has a good sense of humor about itself and I think both these movies know what they want to be and they indulge themselves in that way. Like they don't care that it gets uh, ridiculous or that they might alienate people by being too goofy or too silly or anything. And I will say, I mean, there's like one or two comedic moments. This one, I felt like maybe we're a little too broad, even though I did enjoy it. uh, The uh, sequence where um, it's like the Dean and another character, you know, I'm talking about. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That one was like a little like, what is this like sketch theater?
0: Right. Yeah. It was a little Looney tunes, (laughs) but you know, I allowed
2: it. Sure. Again, like I enjoyed it, but I do think like that kind of took me out a little bit. It was like, okay, this is a little, this is going on a little too long, but um, again, yeah, no, I, I just think this movie is so much fun and uh, I'm glad you liked this one
0: a little more than the first one. Yeah. Again, I, I just think that it was a little bit more refined to me where it, like, I just had like a confidence. Like I felt like what I was watching, you mentioned it. I, I felt like I really was getting a sense of what Christopher Landon wanted to say and scene to scene, you know, it, it does have that I did like the nerdy weird science stuff. I'm not saying I dislike it. I just do wonder if it might be a little bit too much for some people and it might, but you know, it's not it's well, something that I cares. appreciate it's more like- than I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying ultimately. Right. I will say I I think you're 100% right about Jessica Roth because I I think if you remove her from the equation, this film does not work at all. It it really is a film that needs the lead actress to be a cut above everyone else honestly yeah not not to say anything negative about anyone else in the film she's just the actor well, who sells the most you know important parts of the film especially when it comes to the emotional drive of this one which yeah. even though the comedy isn't better the emotion stuff really is like it really works here and it's a big mm-hmm. reason why I walked away from the film pretty satisfied with what I watched
2: yeah I mean like especially with the beginning when we have the segment about Ryan, like, I, yeah. I do admire the risks from Landon, you know, to, like, start a movie off with, like, what was essentially, like, a third-tier character. It was last bold, film. but absolutely appropriate
0: right. and well done, I thought.
2: Sure. But at the same time, like, no offense to the actor, but, like, it didn't, like, have, like, that same magic. And there was, like, a part of me I was like, oh, no, is this not going to quite size up to the first movie, at least in my opinion. But once Jessica Roth came in, like you were saying, it just, it just comes alive. Like, something about her presence and her her affection for this character and the way she plays it so willingly and openly, uh, it just works. Like it really, I think is a testament to her credit as an actress that the series is given, I think more credibility than would have otherwise gotten as like, you know, people dismissing it as a groundhog day ripoff. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think this movie really is what I was hoping it would be. And I'm hoping there's going to be a third one. Cause like I said, I, I want to see the series go on indefinitely.
0: It almost certainly will. I mean, it, it has a pretty low budget and it's tracking to do pretty well this weekend, despite being sized up against a lot of other films at the moment. So yeah. I think they're going to... I think Blumhouse is going to make another one of these, especially because right. they tease I, another film so explicitly in this.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, I will say the teaser, I think, does work as like... It, it doesn't necessarily have to have a third film. But it like, definitely it suggests on, but, it, yeah. But, no, but that's what I mean. Like, it definitely leaves that door open and yeah. i think it should um but yeah I, I i do think there's a small part of me though going back to the release date that really really wishes that this movie came out on groundhog Day weekend but it was neither close here nor there. yeah yeah it's close but no cigar it's that's uh, what i mean it's not so close but anyway yeah yeah
0: i i will say that to what you were saying before though even though the teaser kind of leaves a door open a lot of stuff in this movie does not <laughs> like there is a huge huge plot twist reveal thing that happens yeah. in the first act that's never resolved. And to me, that was like, okay, they're going to do this in the third one. Like there is a moment partway through the film when you're like, oh, okay. We're never going to find out what's really going on. Are we? And yeah. you just sort of have to sit back and accept that real quick. I do want to say, cause the last time we talked about this film. We mentioned that we were both big fans of Jessica Roth, obviously, and kind of hope looking forward to what she might be able to do next. Unfortunately, the, the problem with that is she doesn't have much else on her filmography coming up. So Criminal. she has a, a Valley Girl remake, which, which is uh, on
2: the shelf because Logan Paul is apparently in it.
0: Logan Paul is in that movie, which that's not great news because he's a bit of a lightning rod of controversy. And then if yeah. uh, Chloe Bennett and My Women are in it too, you know, pretty well recognized, you know, yeah. Ashley Murray, Peyton List, pe- people who obviously you know, have a pedigree and you, you know, I, I right. want to see this movie. You I think, think that it could be really good. Yeah. you re- think
2: you could just like, uh, refilm those stuff, like pull in all the money in the world and just shoot. Like, I don't know how big his part in the, is in the film, but you could always just reshoot that and then mm-hmm. release the film again. If that's the core issue with releasing it.
0: Yeah, it, I really want to see it because it's supposed to be a musical comedy. It's Rachel Goldenberg, who's known for Funny yeah. or Die. I mean, this this mm-hmm. is Amy Talkington did the, the screenplay. Th- this looks like a funny movie, and I think Jessica Roth is great with comedies. Uh, I think the only other like major release that she's been the lead in was the Forever My Girl movie, which oh, yeah. I didn't see. I think you saw, though, right? I didn't
2: see it. No, I didn't. Kimber talked about it on the show, but I haven't seen it.
0: Right, right. I knew someone had talked about it, but regardless, yeah. uh, Jessica Roth is somebody who I think – should be given more to do. I think, I think she's a breakout course, star yeah. who has been breaking out over and over again, Uh which mm-hmm. I guess you would fitting say enough. that's fitting, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, happy death day to you. I give it a B minus. Uh, I think it's worth checking out, especially if you enjoyed the first one. Uh, I just think that it, it doesn't fully work, but the stuff that works, works pretty well.
2: Yeah. I give this one a hearty B. I had a lot of fun and I'm just looking forward to these movies continuing again and again. Uh Yeah. I, I think it just, <laughs> I think it's one. Yeah. Um, I just think it's like, even with like the logo for both movies, like you just know it's going to work. At least I do. Mm-hmm. Like, but the first movie, like, repeats like over and over again. And this time when it like splits, it's spliced up into three like universal logos. I was like, okay, I'm back. This is going to yeah, be. Yeah. Like, We're and, in good hands. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I hope more people catch on to this film. I think a lot of people did enjoy the first film, but I think the second one, like I said, I think it's a little more accessible. So I think more people are going to be willing to go back or uh, give the second or the first movie a little more notice. But I will say, I will suggest, John, I think you should rewatch that first movie. I think it's more confident than you give it credit for, especially mm-hmm. since there is a montage that literally is in to the tune of Demi Lovato's
0: "Confident" or confidence <laughs> or whatever that song is called. <laughs> and that's all it takes, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is happy death day to you about a B average from us. And yeah, now playing in theaters. A lot of things to pick from the theaters this weekend. You know, it is Valentine's Day weekend. A lot of things came out on Wednesday. And we had a romantic comedy, right, that was about romantic comedies as well. It's called Isn't It Romantic? And Will Ashton, I am starting to think that you are sticking me with the romantic comedy beat because last week I did what men want. And this week uh, I'm now. I didn't doing...
2: tell you to see these things. You do this on.
0: <laughs> you didn't own. tell me, but you basically <laughs> were like, "I'm not going to see it." So <laughs> I
2: never said that. No, I just like, it. I, I just ignore it, and then you're like, "Well, I guess I better do it. I'm the, the savior here. The listeners have
0: to know <laughs> if they should go check this out." So I decided not to ignore. Isn't it romantic? Which is a new meta romantic comedy starring Rebel Wilson, Adam. Divine, Liam Hemsworth, and many other familiar faces. It was directed by Todd Strauss-Schulson, who, fittingly enough, did The Final Girls, which is a very similar concept to this new film. Final Girls was about a woman who hates horror movies and all their cliches, but she gets trapped inside of a horror movie. So Isn't It Romantic is the same thing, where a woman who hates romantic comedy gets trapped in a romantic comedy. Here's a clip from the trailer.
1: It's just a movie. You see, Natalie, love's not a fairy tale. Girls like us don't get that. For why? Well, look in the mirror, doll. We're no Julia Roberts. Every day is paid date. Swipe my card. Then what are I we talking about? Natalie's saying that romantic comedies are bad. All well, those movies are lies,
0: they're terrible pop songs. I think people would have an easier time seeing you if you were a little more open. Hey, I'm Jack.
2: Natalie. Give me the purse! Whoa! How does this shit always happen to me? Where am I? You're in the emergency room. This isn't an emergency room. This is a Williams Sonoma. Make
0: downtown. It looks like One somebody's put a beauty filter across New York City. 911, what's your emergency? Someone's broken into my apartment <laughs> and they've taken everything and replaced it all with much nicer stuff. So your emergency is that
1: your apartment is too big and you have every shoe you could ever want. Yeah, exactly. That's what Bye. I
0: would All right. That is from the trailer for Isn't It Romantic, which is out in theaters now. So the whole movie is basically Rebel Wilson's character figuring out that she is in a world where romantic comedy rules apply. Whenever she tries to drop the F-bomb, she gets bleeped out by something because it's a PG-13 movie. She suddenly has a gay best friend who is so stereotypically underdeveloped as a character, she says that he's setting back gay rights a 100 years. There are magically unrehearsed dance numbers, and whenever her character tries to have sex with a love interest, the film fast forwards because, again, it's PG-13, so she has no recollection of what happened. Very humorous. The commentary on the genre of romantic comedies, in my opinion, is more amusing. Then it is funny in this film because, you know, it does manage to be funny for the most part, but that's mostly thanks to Rebel Wilson's comedic timing. She's written some good lines, she's able to give them off, and her sort of commenting on the ridiculousness of romantic comedies is mostly what ends up being funny here. You know, I've always wanted to see Rebel Wilson actually carry a film. She's usually a supporting role, but, you know, she does have what I think is that really necessary charisma to balance character flaws with enough likability. And to be honest, she's not very likable in this film. It reminds me again of what men want from last week, because that was a film with RGP Henson. It's not very likable, but it works because the story is about how she doesn't really like herself or think that she deserves the fairy tale romance she's resented in all of these romantic comedies that she's never seen herself in. And there are a lot of great romantic comedies that get lampooned here. There, there were a lot that I'm sure went over my head, but the main ones uh, you know, appear to be Notting Hill, When Harry Met Sally, and in one of the films, in my opinion, Best Scenes, My Best Friend's Wedding. It is a fantastic scene. Uh, but it has song numbers, obviously, because I don't know if you know this, Will Ashen, but Rebel Wilson has a fantastic singing voice. So... I liked the message of the film more than I liked the film itself, but I still liked it overall. I think it's it's short, it's breezy, it doesn't wear out its welcome too quickly. If it had just been slightly more humorous throughout, and if the gags had been more inspired, if they had worked a little bit more consistently, then I think this could have been a real standout as far as studio comedies go and like the last year I think it would have been closer to the level of something like game night. It's a little bit closer, maybe to blockers, which was, I was a little bit lower on than most people. But yeah, I, I would say it's a bit too sloppy to consider an easy recommend. I think a lot of people who either love romantic comedies or are tired enough of them that they'll notice all the fun send ups and, and enjoy the film on that level, I think it'll work for those people. But I don't see this one as a very lasting, rewatchable experience that's going to move a lot of people's hearts after the first watch, which makes sense for it coming out on Valentine's Day weekend. It is something that you can kind of dispose of once done with it, you know, after your, your sort of like date at the movies, but I do want to commit it for at least trying to subvert the genre just a little bit. And in that way, it definitely succeeds at what it's going for. I don't want to send too much on that topic though. Cause I think that it would give away certain things, but yeah, there is a little surprise at the end of this movie where you, you see it going the way that you know that it's going to go, but there's just a nice little twist that kind of works. And yeah, it, it's not bad. I gave it a B minus Very low B minus. It was like teetering on the C plus. But I think that, again, I think that final message really worked for me. I wrote more about this in my review on cinemaholicspodcast.com. You can read it now. But yeah, well, again, like what men want. I I don't – I cannot – Look you in the eye and say, Will Ashton, you need to rush out to the theater, run in slow motion, run past the heart-shaped doves, tell Jessica Roth how you feel. I I mean, go to the movies and see Isn't It Romantic. Uh, I I think that you can probably just miss this one, maybe rent it, if you ever have a a date night coming up. Uh, It seems unlikely, but I will keep that in mind. (laughs) All right, that's Isn't It Romantic. Uh, Will, you've been watching a new Netflix series that I've been interested in. And we're finally uh, yeah. talking about it. We've been putting this off because I think you wanted to watch more episodes. That and I
2: thought it would be good to talk about the same week as uh, Happy Death Day to You because mm-hmm. they are kind of similar in a weird way. But the show you're talking about is Russian Doll, which is the new Netflix series starring and co-created by Natasha Leone, which um, I guess people know her
0: best from American Pie or maybe um, that's Born where I, new black. Th- yeah, I was going to say that. Orange is the New Black is the one that I more immediately recognize her from. But how can you not forget her role in American Pie? And she was even in, like yeah. I think, American Reunion,
2: right? That's right, yeah. And um, for me, though, I think it's like American Pie and uh, Slums of Beverly Hills, which have you ever seen that one, John? No, I haven't. It's a good one. Definitely check it out. Um, that's from the same writer-director as uh, Private Life and um, was it The Savages? So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, Russian Doll, um, another one I don't know what all I can give away uh, in a quick synopsis. But essentially we follow Natasha Leone's character. She is at our birthday party and she is turning the same age that her mother, her mother was when she died. And it's a big, like kind of like midlife crisis moment for her. And she doesn't quite know how to process that, but she doesn't have much time to process that because uh, when she leaves a party to go find her cat, she finds herself uh, hit by a car and uh, meaning her death. But instead of, like I said before, going to the great beyond, she finds herself uh, once again at the party in the bathroom where she was at the beginning of the episode. And she uh, finds herself in a time loop where she doesn't really understand why or what's going on or why she keeps reliving this day. But unlike uh, Happy Death Day, she does make it into the next day, but she's often met with uh, her death. But then she just goes back to that that time when she's in the bathroom and just this cyclical nature where things, uh, aren't quite adding up and she doesn't really know what to make of it. Um, and it's eight episodes, another, um, Netflix sh- series where I think they know, unlike, well, I guess I should say, unlike other Netflix series, they don't extend it too long. Like I think eight episodes is pretty good for what yeah. it's trying to do. Perfection. And, uh, right. Which, I mean, I guess it's more like the Marvel series where they, they have them like 13 or so episodes when they should be less than that mm-hmm. like five um, five or six perhaps yes but uh i wasn't even say like even like at eight it seems like it could have been i think
0: six right or i think that's why defenders ended up being pretty good because that was at least eight episodes But anyway
2: yeah um but um in addition to natasha leone this was made by uh leslie headland i believe that's her how you pronounce her name um she is uh, the filmmaker behind um, Bachelorette, which I wasn't really crazy about, but she also made um, Sleeping with Other People, which I believe that's another romantic comedy, which yeah. I think is actually quite good. I really like that Have you seen film. that one, John? Oh, yeah. yeah. That it, was, one a good bit. it was
0: probably my, one of my favorite comedies of 2015, I would say.
2: Yeah. And I would say, you know, like I think, you know, like this premise, like we were saying earlier, it's not spectacularly new, but I think, again, comes down to the filmmaker because she directs the first episode, or the, mostly episodes, I'd say. Uh, and Latasha Leone, who's fantastic. it's probably some of her best work, honestly, as an mm. actress. Um I think the way she carries this series, I mean, obviously she had a hand in writing it. She also wrote and directed the finale. Um, but it's just clear that like she the way she feels so lived in with this character and like how it works so well with her sense of humor and like how she just kind of has this like playfulness to it that really uh, warms you up to this character and kind of like eases you into something that could have been kind of morose and uncomfortable is uh, made a lot more winning and sweet through her performance, but I will say unlike happy death day or happy death day to you, um, the series, it, it, it definitely changes this genre in a way that's like kind of the inverse of those films where it starts off very comedic and then it gets very dramatic. And then it even gets into horror territory towards the end. So like I said, oh. it's kind of backwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't give away too much more cause there's like definitely a big plot development that happens midway through. But there is something about this series. I think it, there's a reason why it's it's being considered, I think, one of the best Netflix series wow. uh, at the present moment. I mean, no, I mean, like, that's, like, what's been said elsewhere. I don't know if I'm quite on that level, truth be told, but I'm very behind on most Netflix things. But um, I think it's really just, like, the way it approaches this uh, premise, I think it, it's smart, it, it's clever, it definitely has a good sense of humor about itself, but it doesn't pull its punches. Like, it definitely is going to some deep, dark stuff. It's very much a character study of someone who you may not necessarily want to deal with in your normal life, but I think the way Natasha Leone plays a character and, uh, you know, gets you into her mindset really makes it work. I'm not quite sure what grade I'd give it. I'm between, like, a B and plus. Um, I guess I'll give it a high B. I don't so know like if it's a quite B+. A plus. Beep. Something like that. <laughs> so yeah. Like a heartbeat when she's not like coming back to life. Um uh, but anyway. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really fan- crazy about that joke as I was saying either, but we can move on. <laughs> um anyway, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot to like here, and I definitely think it's winning a lot of people over for a reason. Um the writing's really on point, and I think the performances are all spectacular. So um yeah, actually I'm surprised you haven't watched this one, John. I think you're really gonna dig it. Yeah, well, uh, if you get a chance to check it out.
0: The problem is I've been watching a lot of other series, and it's been True. tricky. I'll get into that in a second. But my only question was: I heard that Jamie Babbitt did some of these episodes in the middle. Yeah, and she's the but she I'm did. but I'm a cheerleader movie mm-hmm. director. So oh yeah, I was going to ask how does she do with uh, with these? I know she's on a lot of TV, obviously, but you know how how did she fit in? Because I know Leslie Headland did most of the episodes.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even make that connection because truth be told, I actually haven't seen But I'm a Cheerleader. It's been on my list for a long time. Oh, I wow. should make a point to check that out because I've heard th- it's
0: great. I think you would like it, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I think I would, too. I mean, I've, I've seen clips from it, and I definitely yeah. like those. But I'm, I'm a big fan um, of Jamie
0: Babbitt. I should say like, she's directed episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Silicon Valley, yeah. Nip Tuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, some some of the best shows.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think she definitely has uh, proven herself time and time again. And yeah, she she works really well here. I I will say the time film, time again, the show- Time and time
0: again, fittingly enough, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm glad you catch on to my puns. Um, yeah, I, I would say that. Uh, yeah, the show has a, like surprisingly pretty good visual sense, uh, just in the sense that I, I guess I was expected to be a little more like straightforward. And it actually, has like a great uh, kind of visual kineticism to it, especially towards the end, um, that suggests that I I do really hope that uh, Natasha Leon, uh goes into directing and writing more because I think she proves herself in that final episode in, in a great way, but. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, talking about Jamie Babbitt, she she is certainly a commendable filmmaker. And I think that is true in her work here.
0: All right. Well, that is Russian Doll. And you kind of mentioned it. I I haven't seen it because there there have been a lot of things that I we're going to probably talk more about next week. But there's the new season of The Dragon Prince on Netflix. Uh, I've been watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix and Doom Patrol on DC Universe. I mean, a lot of content kind of hitting us and we, we can't, we, we can't take to any time off with Ashin because before we know it, it's going to be March and April and there's yeah. going to be even more stuff hitting us. This is a very content heavy season, mainly thanks to these streaming services that are not really, you know, the winter slump doesn't exist right to Netflix and HBO and all these places. Yep. And because of that, we have to be on our toes so we can watch what we think you all might be into. So yeah. Again, that's Russian Doll. And it sounds like of the things you could pick, that's a solid choice.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I didn't even mention it, but I do think if you check it out, it's pretty quick and breezy. Um, I, I think you can get through it pretty easily if you just sit down and watch it all the way through. But I don't know if it's a miniseries or a TV show. I don't know if they're going to go with a second season. The ending suggests that they may not. But um, if there's a second season, I'm really looking forward to seeing what it becomes.
0: All right. I will say, you know, next week I'll talk more about these shows, but I will say, please, if you wanna watch a TV show right now, if you wanna watch an animated series, The Dragon Prince, very short episodes, there are now two seasons, there aren't a lot of episodes, and it's it's a very quick watch, and it's fantastic. It's, a, it's one of my favorite shows, period, right now. And I'm also enjoying Umbrella Academy, so I'm looking forward to seeing more episodes of that so we can talk about it. But something that I did watch in full, and we're really sticking mostly to movies this week, is horror noir, which, Will, have you heard anything about horror noir? I think I mentioned it the other day, yeah. and you hadn't heard of it then, but have you looked into it yet?
2: A little bit. I, I, I've i seen ads for it, or I've seen like uh, promotional material for it, but I haven't got a chance to check it out yet, Gosh, but okay. I heard it's really good.
0: Yeah, it really is. Oh, man, it's probably my favorite documentary of the year so far, and I saw a bunch of really good documentaries at Sundance, so yeah, that, I guess I should qualify that, right, because it is only February. Yeah. That said, uh Horror Noir is a documentary. It's available on Shutter. It's also playing in select theaters and I just think just Los Angeles and New York, if I'm not mistaken. But Horror Noir is a documentary that chronicles the history of black horror films. What is black horror? and how black people have been represented in films over the last hundred years, since one of the first films ever made. We actually have a trailer that does a pretty good overview of what this documentary is and what you can expect. So here is a clip from the trailer.
2: We've always loved horror. It's just that horror hasn't always loved us.
1: Black people play a particular role in horror films. Ah! First, we weren't in it. We were played by white people. Yeah. We went from maids to pimps and hoes. If there was somebody black, they would be the first to die. <clears throat> black films hold a mirror up to society, but at the same time, give an audience an escape.
0: A man. one fellow said to me you were directing before it was legal you can be the boss down there i'm boss up here
1: yes that's history we've shifted from being the focal point of the fear to being the heroes
0: all right that is from the trailer for Horror Noir, which is now streaming on Shudder. If you haven't heard of Shudder before, it is a streaming service. It's kind of like Netflix, but for horror. uh, It's pretty great. Right now, in fact, I think you can watch Revenge and Mandy, which were two films that you and I really enjoyed last year. But yeah, that's that's the kind of niche of Shudder, is it really specializes in a lot of horror films throughout history that you can't really get anywhere else, right? And Horror Noir, fittingly, is a really it, it feels like a history lesson, but one that is just fascinating to watch. You know, we were talking about, you know, sort of, but before this episode and, you know, in certain parts of this episode, we were talking with Val Complex, our guest, about, you know, kind of, you know, representation and especially with Alita Battle Angel. And after seeing Horde Noir, you know, you get so, you get kind of like reawakened to a lot of the really problematic tropes of how Black people are depicted in film. But what's really great about this documentary is that it really leans in on the horror movie aspect of it to really showcase how that's changed, evolved, and in some ways regressed as much as it's progressed in certain, you know, eras. But one of my favorite sections of this entire film is when they go to the 80s and the 90s, because, you know, you you deal with sort of the atomic age, obviously. And then, you know, Night of the Living Dead is a big, you know, center point in this film, because that, that film, like you hear in the trailer, like they made history, you know, where one of the leading characters was a black man who was not, you know, he wasn't a victim. He was, well, he was in a certain part of the movie, but you know what I mean? Like he was a hero for a big portion of that film and a very competent character. And they really get into detail of, you know, the setbacks, the limitations that we eventually get into the black exploitation of the seventies. You get a lot of really great film suggestions there of, you know, how that was both good and bad. You know, like you sort of heard in the trailer too, the idea of like, you know, black people were being stereotyped as, you know, pimps and hoes and that sort of thing. And then in the 80s, you, you have more of like the the black person always dies first, you know, in like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and those films. And then you get to the 90s, which is where black films kind of hit this, you know, indie cinema resurgence. And it was one of my favorite parts because that's when you really start to see, you know, the growth to where we get today. And this film has a lot of, you heard him in the trailer, but uh, that was Jordan Peele talking, you know, a, a big thing about this film is sort of how did we get to Get Out? Which is a film that has been largely impactful culturally. And so this was a fascinating documentary to watch. You know, you're really just listening to you know, black cinema experts and black directors throughout history, like the director of Blackula is in this, uh, the director of I think uh, Ganji and Hess is in this, I want to say. you know a lot a lot of directors you may not have even heard of who are here and they're sort of just telling their stories. They're talking about what it was like to make these films. If you are passionate about film in any capacity whatsoever, and I have a feeling a lot of people listening are because you listen to a podcast about cinema, right? So this is the sort of film that is going to educate you. It's it's a great overview. It doesn't go into too much detail. Like I don't think it's something that gives you an education in the sense that like a film school course on this subject would. In fact, there's a somebody who teaches black horror cinema, you know, she's a college professor and, you know, I would say, you know, <laughs> if if she has like an online course or something like that, that would probably be tremendously helpful for gaining perspectives in You know, how black people have been represented through all sorts of films, but mainly how black horror has always been very symbolic for the periodic changes and sort of the things that have really, you know, boosted the profile of people, you know, at black actors and black directors who, you know, don't get shots when it comes to different kinds of films. Usually horror is something that's kind of looked at as a fringe genre, right? You know, a lot of early filmmakers are told, make a horror film, you know, when you're starting out, they're easier to make or cheaper to make but they're films that can really show your skills so I think that this this film highly highly recommend uh, I give it an A minus. I think it's a must watch and Will Ashton I hope you see it soon I think that it's one that you're really I think that you're really going to get a lot of value out of for sure yeah I'm definitely inspired to see it based on that review all right that is Horror Noir again it's playing on Shudder and if you don't have Shudder you can get a free trial and it's a great service. You should uh, consider sticking with it if you have the means. But with that, we have one last film before we close things out. Will Ashton, you saw something called Lords of Chaos. What is it? That one about? I, I really don't know much about this one at all.
2: Okay, yeah, it's um, let's see, it's a horror drama slash dark comedy biopic. I'd say. Um, it is about uh, uh, basically a pretty traumatic scene in the early nineties for Norwegian uh, black metal. Um, I know John, you have a big, long, illustrious history with Norwegian black metal.
0: I, th- I don't want to get into it.
2: Yeah. Based I... on our several conversations about it.
0: Yeah, please, uh, please respect my, my privacy at this time.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, but anyway, it's uh, based on a book from the nineties. Uh, this incident happened in the early nineties, but uh, essentially I don't know what it can give away, but it's about a band named Mayhem. They're, uh, based in norway there's like kind of a couple burnout kids who don't really know how to progress with their music and uh a city that doesn't really have a high uh black metal scene uh but they kind of are forefronters in one sense like they kind of uh push it and uh they kind of find their voice in a way but um in doing so their lead singer uh ends up committing suicide and they're kind of at a loss until this other guy played by um, Emery Cohen, who you may remember from Brooklyn. He was uh, the love interest mm-hmm. in that, or one of the love interests. I think
0: he was also in the Comple- OA, right? That's that
2: right. Netflix I haven't watched show. it, though. But but as far as, like, uh, Brooklyn, though, he completely different character mm-hmm. in this film than he was in Brooklyn. Um, he is uh, kind of more of a uh, a twisted individual who, uh, as he gets influenced by uh, the band uh, led by... Um, Roy Culkin's character who I'm trying to remember Roy Culkin I think is the one from Igby Goes Down Kieran Culkin is the one from uh, Scott Pilgrim right and Macaulay is obviously from yeah
0: Rory, Alone, Rory was in let's see Scream 4 uh, right. Signs uh, some
2: other things I'm sure yeah I just I believe but this is Kieran or sorry this is no, this is Rory so you're this saying Rory, that's yeah. from Scream 4 yeah anyway I, I still get yeah. them mixed up Um. but anyway yeah so uh. As they kind of uh, form an alliance with this character played by Emery Cohen, they realize that uh, he might be a little too into the scene. Like, he has some ideas involving church burning and a few other uh, um, criminal activities that are uh, possibly pushing the edge a little too far. And it leads to a tragic conclusion that uh, it's kind of um, – kind of reminds me a little bit of Foxcatcher in the way it ends. Uh, just in this kind of same uh, quiet tempo in that way. But the beginning of the film, it, it definitely has a conflict in tone in some ways because the beginning of it is a little reminiscent of a movie I like quite a lot called Death Chasm. It has kind of like a winking sense of humor at the beginning, a dark silliness to it. But uh, the film, there is the danger of given the material and using that tone at the beginning that it might sensationalize or might even trivialize what was ultimately a pretty tragic situation. And I think the movie to its benefit is able to separate itself from that because there are a lot of scenes where characters are watching like uh, Peter Jackson's Dead Live aka Braindead and they're kind of separating like, okay, this is like sensationalized movie violence and the violence in the film is very much made to be realistic or a little more authentic so you can kind of differentiate like this is not like us like sensationalizing in that particular way. It's like you're not really supposed to get enjoyment out of the violence in the film. Um, But as a film, I don't know if I loved it per se. I think it's pretty straightforward. I don't think it does anything particularly remarkable. And I don't think a lot of people are really going to dig it all that much because the characters are pretty detestable and they do pretty horrendously violent and disgusting things throughout the film. And I think that's going to turn a lot of people off. But if you are a big fan of the metal scene and you know the story and I think you appreciate uh, the aesthetic of the film and what it's trying to do, I think it works. I think it's a good film. Um, I can't say like I was through the roof in love with it, but I think it's well acted. I think it's well crafted. And I think even if it isn't remarkable, I do think it's worth checking out if you think of it's of interest. So I'll give it a B minus. I didn't love it, like I said, but I was taken by it. I was pretty thoroughly engaged because I didn't know the story all that well, but um, I-, I found myself pretty riveted throughout. So I don't know if it's for you, John. I I know... That goes against, uh, your deep history of, uh, Norwegian dark metal or sorry, black metal, but, uh, <laughs> ever yeah, since Jennifer's I, I, body,
0: I, I, I've just had a really tough time.
2: You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, dug it and I think if you check it out, you, you might appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, that is Lords of Chaos and I guess, is it in select theaters right now?
2: It is. Yeah. I think it's going to be on VOD pretty soon. Yeah.
0: A lot of B minuses this week, but you know, of all the films we talked about, definitely a couple of highlights, some things that you uh, should probably definitely give a look with that. That'll do it for this week's episode of cinemaholics. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple podcasts, Stitcher and wherever else you can leave a review on any sort of podcast channel and hang out with us on facebook twitter just go to cinemahawkspodcast.com connect with us or email us cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com we'll see you all next week to talk about how to train your Dragon: in the hidden world fighting with my family and as we kind of mentioned on this show some some new releases maybe on netflix and other streaming platforms we can get to this week and that'll do it for us from the internet california i am john egroni and
1: from the internet pennsylvania i'm wash see you next time